Um, so I think the cornerstone of our ministry is we study the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the great and the reason we do, do that is by doing so, we get we get the full counsel of God, right? Um, and there is, and we're not tied to my perception, my biases of things, but we're trying to align ourselves with the truth of God, and that is why chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is important. Um, what, but what makes sometimes these this such practice difficult is you run into a chapter that is either confusing to understand or is, is contrary to the way the world operates. Um, and and, and th- sometimes we have trouble navigating those parts. Um, so today's scripture, today's verses that we read, is both. It's difficult to understand, and it's contentious against the standard of the world. So I think it's like the most difficult text that I've ever preached on in my 25 years of preaching. And so... So let's, let's try to do this, right? But let, let, let's try to do it. Let's ask for God's grace and let, let's, let's, let's dive into what God has to say about male and female relationships in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is, is a part of Paul's instructions to the church of Corinth about proper worship and church life. So 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14 it's Paul's instruction to the Corinthians of how to do worship properly and how to um, maintain the life of the church. So the reason why Paul is addressing these issues, church order and worship order, is because there was much chaos in the church of Corinth. Corinth. Church of Corinth, the Christians in the church of Corinth were blessed by Many spiritual gifts. There were some really good teachers. There were some wonderful prayer warriors. There were healers. There were generous givers. Um, There were people who spoke in tongues. People who can interpret people speaking in tongues. So it was an amazing group of gifts that God has blessed his church with. So it's great that God has blessed them with these gifts. But the problem was chaos started to abrupt amongst them. Chaos such as, um, like, you know, for example, during the worship, right, people would start praying in tongues in, in public. But there were no one interpreting those tongues. So no one could understand what these people were praying publicly, right? Another issue was um, that all sorts of people who have the gift of teaching began to teach publicly. So there wasn't like an order. So anyone who thought they could preach began to preach publicly. So people were praying without understanding. Everyone who thought they had the ability to teach started teaching. And not only that, people with different gifts became really prideful of their gifts, thinking their gifts right, were the true gifts. People who had the gift of teaching thought their gift was the best. People who had the gift of healing thought their gift was the best. So there, were, there was pride like, rising up among the congregation, and they were infighting. So there was chaos in the church life, and there's especially chaos in the worship 
when people gather to worship. So to address this, these issues, Paul is writing the Corinthians proper instructions of how to properly worship and, pro and how to properly have church life. Right? So that's why, that's the background of it. And the first issue that Paul addresses about proper worship and church life, he starts with the, the most basic foundation of any worship or any church life, which is that of the relationship between man and woman. Before he addresses the gift of tongues, before he addresses you know, all sorts of other type of gifts, he, first, he starts out with the most foundational relationship under heaven. Which is God, which is man's, which is relationship between man and woman in the church. And as we studied last week, Paul's instruction to the men and women are: men are to be the leaders of the church, and women are to submit to the leadership of men. That's well. That's what Paul is speaking in First Corinthians eleven. Men are called by God to be the leaders in worship services and the life of the church and in the family. And women are to, are to follow. Women are to be submissive. Oh, if, I, if, I, if, someone, if one of my people at my work watches this, maybe I get fired. Right? And that's a symbol of Paul's, Paul's relationship, Paul's, Paul's advice to men and women, men to be leaders, women to be followers. He says as a symbolic representation of that structure, women should wear head coverings during worship. Now, we're not really sure what, head cover, what, Paul meant, what type of head covering Paul mentions because Paul doesn't go into specifics of the type of head coverings that the women should wear. Right? Um, some scholars believe that the head covering Paul talks about is women's actual hair. Right? So that's what I think verse 15 says. Right? For long hair is given to her as a covering. So some scholars interpret verse 15 to mean that Paul, when Paul says women should cover her hair, they should put the hair up on a bun, right? So some of our sisters here, they have, they have hair like, like to their shoulders, and there are some sisters who have had it on, on a bun. So, those, so some people believe that Paul is saying when women come to church and worship with men, they should lift their hair up in a bun as a covering for their head. Um, but I don't think that's the most, most persuasive argument because Paul says, don't, men, don't cover your head, right? Which means, but that, so that doesn't make any sense if by head covering, Paul means hair because men naturally have hair and men cannot help but to cover their heads with hair. So that can't really, that can't really, be, that can't really mean what Paul meant when he says women cover your head. I think the more consistent interpretation is women should use some form of veil or shawl to cover their heads when they worship with men as a, rep a symbolic representation of the divine order of things. Paul is saying men are to be leaders, women are to followers, and, wear, and women should wear coverings to reflect that relationship, not because God is a sexist or Paul is a sexist, because that's the way the divine order is. That's the way God designed the order of the universe to be. And we get that from verse 3, which we studied last week. Paul says, 
But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So when God created the universe, he did not create it in a chaotic, disorganized way. There is a divine hierarchy. The hierarchy is God the Father, the Son, man, woman, and all creations. All creations are under the authority of men and women. Women are over, women are, are, are in, in the order of hierarchy. They are in a higher plane than all the creation. But once again, Paul is saying the order of divine hierarchy is God the Father, Son, man, woman, and all the creation. Whether we like it or not, that's the way God designed the universe to be. And as the people of God, that is the order in which we organize our worship services and organize our church life. Few, few things to consider before we move on, before we study the specifics of chapters you know, 4 to 16. 16. The first consideration as we, we have to remind ourselves is the first thing that we need to consider as we study these things is we need to understand, once again, that God is a God of order. Right? God, God, the universe was in chaos, and God in Genesis 1 created the universe and the world in a, with a particular order, with a particular structure. And that created order also involves the way he created man and woman. God designed the world with a certain set of rules, order, and structure. And what sin is, sin is not recognizing the divine order of things, not recognizing the law of God. Sin is, is, is saying, I deny the law of God, I deny the way, the, the, way, the way God ordered the universe, and I'm going to determine what is, I'm going to determine the order of things. It is up to me to determine what is important and how the world should operate. It is up to me to determine the order of, of, of the world and not God. That's the nucleus of sin. I deny God's order, and I, embrace, and I think the world should operate according to my ways, my principles. But when Jesus saves you, when God saves you in Christ, what happens is he opens your eyes to see God's law, God's order, and you want to submit, a, and, you want, and you, you, want, you want to start organizing your life to conform to God's order of things. That's how you know you're saved. You're, you know you're saved not only because you, know, you felt warm in your heart when Jesus loves you but, you, know, but the evidence of your salvation is you begin to structure your life in accordance to God's law, God's order. Because you begin to see God's order is right and your order is insanity. And the example that I can give you is this. So when I was in seminary in Philadelphia, um, I served you know, at, a, at, a, at a soup kitchen, right? It was like you know, a homeless like shelter, I volunteer at a soup kitchen like once a month. And I remember like having, talking, uh, talking with this one particular gentleman um, who, was out, who just got out of jail. And he was in jail because of drugs. And he told me, I still remember, it was like 25 years, 20 years ago. And he says, I really messed up my life. 
Right? I really missed, I got involved with gangs and drugs, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, I got my girlfriend pregnant, right? And, you know, like I have you know, children with her, but I abandoned them and for drugs and all that stuff. So he says, like, I was just, my life was chaos. But in prison, God saved him in Christ. And, and, and he was on his, and he just got out of jail after finding Christ. And I said, so what are you going to do now? He says, I'm going to go back home, try to rebuild, rebuild my relationship with my baby mama and my, and my son. What he's saying is this. He says, before meeting Christ, he did what his friends told him. He did whatever he think was right. And as a result, his life blew up. It was chaotic. But after finding Christ, after being saved in Christ, he realizes he needs to go back and repair what he broke. He began to see the order of the universe. He began to see what God wanted him to do, which is to live in accordance, which is to be a good parent, and which is to be a loving husband. That's a small example of the truth that I just spoke. The way you know that you're saved, if you start to conform to the order that God has made, you're still in your sins if you think the way you ought to live life, that's the way of the universe. That's insanity. Salvation, restoring order to your heart, to your mind, to live in accordance to God's law. La comprende? Everyone understand? Okay, okay. Joe, yeah? You're my, you're my litmus test. Okay. That's the first consideration. The second consideration is this. The church is the body of Christ, those whom God has saved. And related to the point that I just made, if you are a person that belongs to God, and if the church is a group of people who belong to God, then how should we operate the church? We should operate the church and our worship services in accordance to his order. Before meeting God, we were all pursuing after our own stuff. After being saved, after belonging to God, we realize now that God's order is right. And therefore, we structure our church and our worship services in accordance to his will, his design. The world out there will say patriarchy is evil. The world out there will say, just by saying men should be leaders, you're oppressing women. And the world out there will be very hostile to, to what we're talking about here this morning. That's the world. The world that does not recognize the order of God. Inside the church, among the people of God, among the people who belong to God, our call is to submit to God's order and design. Churches get into trouble because rather than embracing the truth of God, they embrace the philosophies of the world. Rather than submitting to the clearly revealed design of God, they interpret, things, they interpret the things of the church through the lens of the world. That's what kills churches. It is very sad. I hear news. Churches are just, ever since the George Floyd incident, churches are just 
Many church pastors just preaching about racism every single week. And it's, and it's, racism is clearly evil and clearly against God's design. A lot of churches are filtering everything through the eyes of systemic racism. Rather than organizing their church under the revealed will of God, they're organizing their church under the philosophies of the world. And if they continue, they will kill their church. So because we are the people of God, we organize things under the revealed will of God, especially at worship services. The third thing to consider is the way Satan attacks. Satan attacks God and his people but constantly remind us to go away from God's design and order. Why did Satan fell? You know, why, did, why did Lucifer fell? Why was Lucifer the bright star? Why did he fall from heaven? It's because he didn't want to accept God's order of things. His pride is in that he didn't want to accept the way God ordered things. That he didn't want the hierarchy. And ever since he fell... He is coaxing, tempting men and women to, to disrupt God's order, to ignore God's order and follow their own ways, just as he did. That's how, you know, that's how he tempted Adam and Eve, right? He went to Eve rather than Adam first because design order is man and woman. But he says, nope, I'm going I'm I'm to disrupt God's order by tempting the woman first so that she can pollute the man. God's temptation of Eve was he's questioning, challenging what God told Adam and Eve. That's the way the, the, the Satan tempts us. He's, taking, he's, he's whispering in our ears, don't listen to the Bible, don't listen to God's revealed will. God's revealed will is, 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 is ancient, it is outdated. It is not true. It is offensive to women. Therefore, don't listen to this. Embrace freedom, whatever freedom means. The way God tempts men is, are, hey man, don't lead. Your wife is scary. Women are scary, man. Right? Women are scary. It's be a nice guy and just submit to whatever your wife says. Right? Like, you know, at the wedding last Friday, like, one of the persons says, you know, what's the secret to a happy life? Listen to whatever your wife says. And everyone goes, oh, 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 oh. But that's, as joking as that is, that is a default to a lot of guys that I know. Leading equals not offending your wife. Leading equals do whatever she says, not rock the boat. Women, Satan tempts you. Your husband is an idiot. Your husband is a boy. Right? He's a boy. You know better than he. If he just listens to you, then your life will be perfect. Women, let's lead. It's very subtle, but such whispers are very common in family life and the life of the church. We must fight against it. Consideration number four. 
What do we do with such texts? That's clearly going against the stream of, life, stream of the world. What do we do? There are three ways to view this text. The first way is thinking like the world, thinking that, you know, this text was written 2,000 years ago. Culturally, women were oppressed, oppressed, right? And, but since the Enlightenment, people have come far. Therefore, these, 1 Corinthians 11, you don't need to consider it because it's outdated and Paul was wrong. That's, that's, the, first, that's the first option. Second option is taking it literally. Paul says to women, wear coverings. Therefore, from next week on, every female in embrace, you come to church with a veil or a shawl. Second is to, is to take it literally. Third option is saying there are certain cultural practices that occurred during Paul's time, but those cultural practices are no longer, you know, no longer relevant to, not relevant, no longer, it's no longer the case in today's society. But even though there are certain cultural elements that are no longer, you know, apropos for today's society, there are certain universal truths that transcends cultural practices. And we need to focus on those universal truths. Just regardless of how culture practices that universal truth, there is still God's universal truth that we must adhere to. I like the third option. First option, that's just rebellion against God. Second option, the, the temptation of second option is thinking that somehow, you know, like if we physically do what God, Paul says, then that makes us holier, right? That if women wear their coverings, then they're closer to God. They're closer to God. And if, women, men, if men don't wear baseball caps, then they're closer to God. That's not true. Whatever we do physically, that's not what God is looking for. We got to focus on the third option. There are unchanging universal truths to these things that we're going to study. And we need to submit to those universal truths. So, far, so I put the four considerations. Y'all comprende, Joe? All right. Now let's go verse by verse. I promise we're going to end in time. Otherwise, we're going to do it, continue next week. So let's hope, let's hope we don't get to next week. All right, let's go. Let's go to verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4 and 5, Paul is, Paul is addressing, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, I think Paul is addressing, I'm sorry, verse five, 4, 5, and 6, Paul is addressing specifically worship, how, the order, how, how men and women should worship together. Okay? So verse 4, Paul says, Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. Prophecy here means teaching. Right? So every man during worship services, every man who prays or prophecies or teaches with his head covered dishonors his head. Why is Paul saying this to men? Because during the time that Paul wrote this letter, like people, Christians and certain men in Corinth began to wear little hats over their heads, right? To 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 which 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 they got from the Jewish men. Jewish men wear black yarmulkes, right? They wear yarmulkes on their top. Some men wear yarmulkes on top of their heads, head coverings. Uh, ben Shapiro, you know, he wears yarmulkes, right, on top of his head. And so, and the reason why they wore yarmulkes is, is to symbolize that 
the presence of God is always over them. The little yamaka is, you wear it to signify that God's presence is always over them. So that's what that little covering is about. And when Corinth, people, men in Corinth, when they got converted, they looked at their Jewish brothers and they were doing that. And that, sound, that looked good. That sounded right and appropriate. So men started to wear head coverings. Paul is saying, Paul is instructing them, knock that off. Don't wear any head coverings while you worship God. So don't wear baseball caps when you worship God. Why? Because, Paul is saying, you have no other head but Christ. Christ is your head. If you wear a head covering, then people may misunderstand, right, that there is some other like, mediator between you and Christ. No. Don't wear any coverings because Christ is your head. Christ directly created you. Therefore, if you wear a head covering, you are, you are kind of expressing your rebellion against this order, the way he created you. So don't wear any coverings. Okay, that's easy enough. Right? Easy to wear, not wear things and wear things. So yay, man, we don't have to wear coverings during worship. Verse 5. But every woman who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is, as, it is the same as having her head shaved. Women, when they prophesy, when they teach and pray during worship services, should have their heads covered. Otherwise, it is offense to herself, to her husband, and to Christ. God, verse, this verse, verse 5. God has clearly gifted women to prophecy and pray. In, worship, in, in the church, right? It isn't as if God just limited the gift of, gift of teaching to only to men. No, God has gifted teachings and prayers to women of the church as well. Where would the Korean church be without early morning grandma prayer warriors? Argument can be made, the Korean church has been built because countless men, countless women started by majority of women, started early morning prayer services. When I go to Korea every summer, guess what a good old PJ has to do? Get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and walk with his mom to early morning prayers. Right? So clearly, there are, like, women pray in the church, and clearly, some women have, are gifted in teaching. There are sisters in our church who are gifted in teaching. So clearly, God has bestowed that gift on sisters. But Paul is saying, wear your head coverings when you are practicing your gifts because even, even when you're practicing your gift, you have to do in a recognition of the divine hierarchy of things. You need to be cognizant of the order that God has made. The authority that God gave to men is not, it doesn't mean that men are superior than women. When Paul says men don't wear head coverings because you are the leader of the church, it doesn't mean, that position of authority doesn't mean that men are superior to women. Clearly that's not the case. Because we talked about last week, men and women are, are in essence equal. Just like Jesus and God the Father, in essence they're equal. Jesus is just as much as God. Jesus is just as much as, just as, much as omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent as God the Father is. 
God the Father, Jesus Christ, they're equal in essence. There is no, one's, one's not more important than the other. And likewise, men and women, just because there's a hierarchy, it doesn't mean that men are more superior than women. It is, the, but it is, but you need to recognize there is a functional hierarchy in the way that God organized the universe, in the way that God organized the church. So even women with gifts of prophecy and prayer, they need to exercise their gift in the church life in recognition of men's leadership over the women. What does that look like? What does that practically look like? How do women exercise their gift within the context of being submissive to men? First, I think the most practical way is during Sunday worship services, when men and women all gather together, when the Bible is open, when the Bible is, te- when the Bible is preached, opening up the Bible and preaching the Bible is the exercise of authority. My authority as a pastor, I don't have the authority to tell you who to marry. I, have no, I don't have the authority. I don't have the authority to, to govern the minuscule details of your life. Some pastors think they do, right? But I don't think, my authority only comes from me preaching the gospel to you. My authority comes from expounding the Bible to you. Pastor Ujin's authority comes from expounding the Bible to you. Teaching the Bible to people, teaching the Word of God to people, and calling people to obey the Word of God, that's the authority. So when women, so when women are to be submissive to men, it's that when, when, when we are gathered, when the whole church is gathered under God's Word, women should not preach to men. Not because women are lousy preachers than men, but because God has said women should not exercise their authority preaching the gospel, teaching men. That is why right, our church on Sunday worship services, we can have you know, female speakers who we can talk about mission reports and stuff, but the expounding of the word of God on Sundays, when we're gathered together, women will not be preachers. Men will. As sexist and wrong as that may seem, offensive as that may seem to the sisters, that is how we are to conform to God's command. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of female preachers who can do it better than I can. Certainly shorter than I can. But the divine authority is when the churches are gathered, when the church is gathered, men preach the authority of God. It is like that, similar to when we have Wednesday night services, if we ever do, when, when, when people get together, it is men who are to teach when we have early morning prayer meetings, when, churches are ga- when, the, when the church is gathered, men should preach and teach. What about the sisters who have the gift of teaching? You can teach in other settings. Female Bible study, Sunday school teachers, right? right? Um, uh, even, even, I'd say, you know, I mean, small groups, we need to discuss about it. But there are certain occasions. And in the New Testament, there certainly there are occasions where women taught men, right? Lydia, I think, taught Apollos. 
So in, certain set, in, in, in the settings of the church, there are certain times when women can teach men. But when the whole church is gathered, Paul is stating women should not teach men. Women should exercise their gift within the confines of the divine order. Paul is saying if, you, if women do not respect this, if women do not cover their heads, right, during worship services and do not recognize the divine order of things. Paul says, it is like as if their it is the same as having her head shaved, right? For if, verse six, if, for, for if a woman does not cover her head, she may as well have her head hair cut off. But, but if she, so what, is, what does Paul mean? Paul is saying, so Paul is saying, if a woman does not recognize the divine authority, it's like, her, her, like her, her shaving her head, is like as if her, her head, head is shaved. What does Paul mean when it says a woman has her head shaved? There are two groups of people, two groups of women during Paul's time in, in Corinth that had their head shaven. The first group of women are prostitutes, or I'm sorry, for those of us with kids, female um, pleasure workers, Right? So the first group of females with their head shaved in the current time are the female, what did I say? Pleasure workers in the pleasure industry. Especially those women who serve the goddess, uh, who serve the goddess Aphrodite. Remember Corinth was a lot of temples and they worshipped a lot of idols. One of the idols were, was Aphrodite. And the way that these women worshipped Aphrodite is they will make their money practicing what they practiced and earning money the way they earn money and they would donate part of their earnings to Aphrodite's. So these pleasure workers with shaved heads would do their thing and offer a part of their earnings to Aphrodite. So that's one group of women who have their head shaved. The second group of women in Corinth who have their head shaved were women who were caught in adultery. Women who had, you know, Improper relationship with the male, other males other than their spouses. When they're caught, the punishment is having their head shaved. These two groups of women, the, the, the pleasure workers and adulteress, what they have in common is they're rebelling against God's order. God's order in terms of their sexuality, God's order in terms of, you know, you know, you know, or in terms of their households. So what Paul is saying here is, any woman in the church who does not recognize, who doesn't have her head covered, who does not recognize the authority of men over women, they are like they are no different from these group of women in the world. These group of women in the world do not recognize God's authority, do not recognize God's God's order of the universe. That's why they do what they do. They do pleasure workers and, and, and they, they cheat, against, cheat, cheat against their husbands because they throw out this divine order of things. And if, you are, if you're a woman that's exercising their gift in the church without recognizing this authority, they are no different from the, the women of the world. Clear? So Paul is saying the way God ordered things and living and doing church life in the basis of God's order, that is really important. It is really important because that's how God created the universe to be. Verse 7. 
A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. God, it's important for women to have their, like, you know, submissive to men in church worship and church life, because men are the glory, image and the glory of God, and women are the glory and the image of man. What does that mean? Does that mean women are not made in the image of Christ? Of course not. He's not saying women are not made by Christ. But he is once again emphasizing the way God has created men and women. Being made in the image, men being made in the image of glory of God means the best thing that God has ever created is man. God took God created man through Christ. God took the dust from the earth, breathed, breathed his life into that dirt, and created man. And to this man, he gave sovereign rule and authority to rule the world, to, the, to rule the earth. More so than any other thing in creation, including angels, man is the most glorious thing that God has ever created. That's what it means that man is the image, the glory and the image of, 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 of God. What Paul means when he says woman is the glory of man, he means the best thing that, that came out of, of man, right? Like in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the best thing that came out of man is a woman. Man's greatest achievement is that a woman came out of, that, came, came out of man. Who created women through men. Jesus Christ did. The way Christ created women is he took men to create women. Jesus still created women, but he, he did it through men, through a man. That's what he means when he says the, 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 the man is the image and the glory of God and woman is the glory of, glory of man. It's how they're made. Right? It doesn't mean that women are not image bearers of God. They are. But it's the way that they were created that Paul is referring to here. Just as God gave man mission to rule the earth, he gave woman, he called woman to help the man do his mission. That's what Paul means in verse verse 8 and 9, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. In verse 9, when he says women were created for man, he means God has created women to help the man fulfill his divine mission. Women can, men cannot do what God has called them to do unless women help us. The word helper in Genesis chapter 2 is yezer, Yezer means someone who helps you because you cannot do it on your own. God is described as Israel's Yezer, which means it, like, when Israel went to fight battle with their enemies, it is God who fought, them, fought for them. Israel was not able to defeat their enemies without the help of God, without the Yezer of God. To be a helper is not... You're not just an assistant to give us coffee and cook for us. That's not what it means. Yezer means men cannot fulfill their mission apart from the help of the woman. El comprende? Right? Look, why did God create woman? 
Is it because men can't cook for themselves and they need an extra set of hands to help them out domestically? No. It was not good for man to be alone, God says, right? It was imperfect for man to be alone. He cannot do what God has called him to do alone. Therefore, he created women. Men can fulfill their mission. Humanity can fulfill their mission with the help of women. Without it, we can't do it. Men, we cannot raise our kids without the help of women. Men, we cannot fulfill the divine call and be fruitful and multiply without the help of women. It's impossible without women. How can we multiply without women? Churches cannot do their functions, cannot preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, cannot disciple people in Christ. Church cannot be the glory and the image of God without women. Therefore, that is why men, men feeling they're superior because they're men, that is foolishness. Because we need women to do God's will. To God's will. Do you understand? It is impossible for us to be the church without women's help. Right? That's why Paul says in verse 11, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also, it, so also man is born of, born of woman. But everything comes from God. In verses 11 to 12, Paul is emphasizing the interdependence between men and women. God has designed it so that we will be, inter, we will be dependent on each other. He didn't, create, he didn't create creation so that man can say, women, follow us. That's not how the mission is fulfilled. Mission is fulfilled when men and women are independent. Not independent, we are dependent to, to, together. Life cannot happen. Churches cannot happen without the help of women. Yeah? Understand? Because that's how God created things to be. Like, I don't want to say who, but at the Friday's wedding, I was like looking at, there are a lot of couples, a lot of newly married couples, right? So I was like looking at them, right? And they were one married couple, right? They seemed so happy, right? They were like holding hands and they were like joking and they were like glowing with happiness. And I know why they're happy, because I counsel them. Right? And they're happy because the husband, I know, is tending, is, 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 being, is loving his wife and leading her in the most gentlest of ways. I know it because I counsel them. And as I look at them and as I look at the fruit of, of, of the husband's leading, there's like tremendous fruit and life and joy in that couple. He leads, he ministers to her, she feels better, and she starts ministering to him. And the couple become joyous and glorious. It is not the husband just did whatever the wife wanted to do. That's not what, what happened. It's not the wife who just did everything the husband wanted to do. That's not how it happened. It's him properly leading, and she properly listening, and then life happens. That's the way God designed creation to be. 
That's how churches and families become fruitful. When men and women submit to the divine order of things. Let's talk about angels. I promise I'll, I'll, I'll end soon. Because I don't want Pastor Wojcik to talk about this next week because I, I love him and this is like, this is, <laughs> I'm gracious to Pastor Wojcik here. Let's talk about angels. Verse 10. Is, it is for, the, for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Why does Paul mention angels? Let's briefly talk about who angels, angels are. Angels are divinely created celestial beings. That's true, right? And what are some of the qualities of angels? Angels minister, are ministering spirits, right? Angels are invisible servants, and they minister God's people. They minister to God's people. Did you know that? Did you know angels minister to us? As we are doing this right now, angels are helping us worship God. Great. God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us his angels to minister to us. You're not alone. Angels are ministering to you, especially when we worship together. Angels are active in worship, right? Um, angels, angels mediated the word of God to the prophets of the Old Testament and to the, to the apostles of the New Testament. So angels help the prophets and the apostles minister God's word, right? When the word of God is preached, angels come and minister, but angels are also very submissive beings. There's a hierarchy in the, in, the, in the order of the angels. Bible question. Who is the archangel? Archangel is the top angel. Who is the archangel? Come on. Who is it? Who? I think it's Michael, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Read your Bible, Daniel. Right. So, like, so, so, <laughs> but there is like a hierarchy of angels. And angels are submissive beings. How do you know? Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. Angels cover their heads in God's presence because they're submissive beings. Angels are divinely celestial beings who help us, who serve us, but who also recognizes hierarchy. So when, what Paul is saying here is, if women do not cover their heads, if women do not recognize the submission order of things, the hierarchy of things, then they're going to offend the angels. Angels are going to be offended. Because everything else in creation submits to the authority and the hierarchy of God. Everything, even angels. Angels are not everything submits to the hierarchy, divine order of God. But for one creature, that creature is man and is, is a human being. Human being is the only creature that says, nope, God, I want to do my own way. And if women are saying, I, I am no, no man's going to rule, rule over me, mm -mm -mm, I am an independent woman. If woman does not recognize the divine hierarchy of things, Paul is saying, you're offending creation, you're offending angels, because it's going against the divine order. Men and women need to work together to make everything fruitful and to make things flourish. But once again, Paul is going back to saying, but recognize the order. Recognize the created order of things. Let's talk about hair length, right? Because, you know, I can be mean as a pastor and talk about hair length next week. No, let's talk about hair length, right? 
Verse 13 and 14. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. What in the world does that mean? Paul in these verses are saying, and this is very offensive to the world. This, in fact, this is like hate speech to the world. What Paul is saying in these verses is this. God has devi- designed things in nature, right, that testifies that the men and women are different. He's saying, because I think there are people in the church back in Corinth, and even during Corinth during, during that time, they start, to, they, they start to blur the distinction between men and women. Right? So there are people in Paul's time where they're saying there is no difference between men and women. Like, women can be feminine and, and men can be masculine and all that stuff. But Paul is saying, look at nature. It is clear that God made men and women differently. They are, God has designed men to have XY chromosomes and women to have XX chromosomes. Men and women are clearly, they're designed differently, they have distinct characteristics. This is offensive to the world because the world right now, the, the, the majority of the Netflix shows and the Amazon shows and the Hollywood shows that you like, they're saying there are no differences between men and women. There are no gender differences. I was listening to, listening to a podcast this week where for two hours, a, a, leading, like a leading researcher says, leading sex research, gender researcher says, for two hours a podcast, she's, pre, she's saying how there are only two genders. The whole podcast was about there's only two genders. Scientifically, there's only two genders. And she took two hours to teach it because the world says, no, they're not. The world says there are 63 genders. Did you know that? Do you know there's 63 genders out there, the world says? But God says there's only two. The world says there are no differences between men and women. But God says there are clear differences between men and women. And he uses the example of long hair. He's not saying, like, you know, long, men having long hair is sinful. Clearly not, because, like, you know, Samson had long hair. God told Samson's mommy and daddy, don't cut Samson's hair, because he's a Nazarite, right? So there are certain sects of Israel that don't cut their hair. What Paul is saying here is, but generally speaking, in nature, Men have short hair and women have long hair. Why, why, why is that cost, custom, cultural custom of men having short hair, women having long hair, why is that there? By the way, according to Time Magazine, and I, I looked this up, most cultures in the history of the world, men generally had short hair and women had long hair. Now, there were like some crazy barbarians who had long hair, but even in those barbarian society, generally speaking, men had short hair and women had longer hair. Why is this? It's because long hair, like it, women's long, I mean, men can have long hair, but women's long hair especially is reflective of their estrogen. Their estrogen level makes their hair, like their long hair, like glowing and, 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 and I don't know, body? I don't know what, I'm, dude, I don't care my hair. But like women have like their body and their, 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 their hair is shiny. And the reason why that is is because estrogen makes that hair healthy and shiny. That estrogen level reflects fertility. Women are estrogen because they can have children. So the health and the length of women's hair is really like 
connected to their estrogen level. So Paul is appealing to creation. Look, women have long hair because, you know, you can, by nature, their long hair is designed by, you know, God has designed nature to be a certain way so that their hair is long and healthy. Dudes don't have that. Nature testifies that there are differences in men and women. And men need to understand that they're men. And women need to understand that they're women. Our society is insane because they're challenging this very notion. How do you know the word of God is true? Because the crazy world is directly going against exactly what God is saying here. Obviously, there are different types of men, right? Some men are like muscular, you know, like, like you know, oh, awful male, right? Like Yeston, right? And some men are not. Like, right? There are some men who are like Esau, hunter-gatherers, hairy hunter-gatherers, and there are some men like Jacob, like, you know, computer geeks and stuff, right? But whether you can, you can kill a bear with your hands or whether you can kill Nazis at Call of Duty all night, whether, whatever traits that you may have, different masculine traits you have, you're still a man. Men act like men. Women, know that you're women and live in accordance to your design. Wow, that was easy. Tying it up. There are certain ways that God has made you to be certain ways. It's true. But the most basic, your fabric of who you are is that you are a certain gender. You're either a man or a woman. And in the church, we flourish when men do what God has called us to do which is to lead women, lead the women of our congregation, just like Christ loved the church. And women do what the church does, submit to Christ, not, not doing everything that we say, but helping us to fulfill God's call. When we do that, our church will flourish. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for revealing truth and that is clear to us. As, we have, as, we have, as I have said in the beginning, this truth is directly in contradiction to what the world says right now. In fact, what we, what we have just talked about, the world will view as hate. The world will persecute the church because your truth is a direct offense to them. But Lord, they're, offend, they're being offended, I think, testifies to the veracity of your word. Jesus, you have said the world will hate your disciples because they have hated you. The world hates the word of God. The, word, the world hates the logos, the way, the structure of the universe. But despite what the world thinks, Lord, Help us to be influenced by the truth, which is the way you created things to be. Rather than listening and judging based upon the opinions of the foolish world, may our identity be solely based on you, and may we, as men and women, submit to your call to, our, to, 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 us, to us as different genders. 
to the men, Father, we pray that may you give us the ability to be more like Christ to our wives and to our sisters in the church. May we not lord over them, but may we sacrificially love and listen and lead, Lord, the way you lead. And for the sisters of our church and to our families, we pray that may you help them overcome the temptation of thinking that they know better than men. May they help, may they, may you give give them a quiet spirit, Lord, so that they will, through their submissive, loving, through their, through their encouragement and love for us, Lord, may, may you, may you help the men to be what you've designed them to be. Father, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.